I'm very mindful that we gather here today from all different aspects of our community. It is a great pleasure as well to welcome the High Sheriff with us this morning and also I'm conscious that there are other mayors from different parts of the county and it's especially a delight to welcome you to Barrow this morning. A burglar broke into a house one night. He shined his torch around looking for valuables and when he picked up an iPad to place in his bag, a strange voice echoed from the dark saying, Jesus is watching you. He nearly jumped out of his skin, clicked his torch off and froze. After a while he shook his head, promised himself a holiday after the next big job, then clicked the light on and began searching for more valuables. However, just as he was about to disconnect the wires for the flat screen television, he heard as clear as a bell, Jesus is watching you. Well, surprised and frightened, he shined his light around frantically, looking for the source of the voice. Finally, in the corner of the room, his torch beam came to rest on a parrot. Did you say that? he hissed at the parrot. Yep, the parrot confessed, then squawked, I'm just trying to warn you. The burglar relaxed. Warn me? Who in the world are you? Moses, replied the bird. Moses, the burglar laughed. What kind of people would name a bird Moses? The parrot then squawked, the kind of people that would name a rockweiler Jesus. (laughs) Well, Jesus is watching you is a very common thing to tell children who are thinking of doing something naughty, perhaps even adults. It's the kind of persuasive threat not to do that thing that you are thinking of. But it's not actually the element of threat that we should be thinking about when we think of Jesus. You see, too often people have been turned off the gospel the good news of Jesus, by threats. Threats of eternal damnation and the fires of hell. Yes, Jesus watches what we do. Yes, Jesus is all around us. But those phrases shouldn't imply a threat, but rather the greatest promise and assurance we can ever possibly know or conceived. He is there at the time of joy, just as he is there at the time of sadness. He watches what we do, and we can see what he does if we are willing to look. The reading which Steve read for us a few moments ago is probably one of the best-known passages in the Bible the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a familiar story, 
It's a story that, at first glance, seems to focus on how we are to behave towards others, not least those who are worse off than ourselves. Here we read of something that is important both for the council and for the church, namely the fundamental principle of care and caring for others, not least those in our communities who find themselves increasingly vulnerable as they struggle to make ends meet in these times of austerity and challenge. The reading provokes us not only to possess love, passion and concern, but to go beyond that, to have the duty to act. But can I suggest that the significance of this conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law goes much further than our moral obligation to other people. Here we have someone who knew his Bible. He was an expert in the law. He had a vast knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. Indeed, it would seem that this man was deeply religious, but sadly, to the point of being self-righteous. This clever lawyer, at least he thought he was clever, sought to feed his own holier-than-thou attitude. Perhaps he expected a nice pat on the back from Jesus, not unlike little Jack Horner who said, what a good boy am I. Instead, this encounter, intended to test Jesus, was to test the expert in the law. This incident was triggered by a question Indeed, the question, the biggest question anyone can ever ask. And I suspect the questioner did not realise how dangerous it was to ask the question that he did. This is what he asked. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we might phrase this question differently, such as, how do I get to heaven? Or, how do I find meaning or purpose in life? These are all variants of the big question. Now, in this instance, the expert in the law was motivated not by a true desire to know what he must do to inherit eternal life, but rather his intention was to commend himself and to test Jesus. However, Jesus could see through his motive and deliberately answers the question with two parallel questions. On this, the questioner's specialist subject, the law. And this is what Jesus said to him. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert answered in these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. And so the trap 
begins to unravel. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. In other words, what's the problem? Get on with it. Well, that is the problem. No one is capable of fully keeping God's law. In another book of the Bible, in Romans, it says, All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Whether we wear one of these or not, none of us are perfect. And here we find the hub in this passage. Because we're told that this enquirer, this lawyer, what did he want to do? He wanted to justify himself. Now I'm sure we all know how easy it is to be tempted along these lines, don't we? We maybe make a mistake or we do something wrong and instinctively we seek to cover our tracks, to pull up a defence, to justify what we have done. And that's exactly what this teacher in the law endeavoured to do. You know, people who live their lives in any kind of public service, in any kind of high-profile job or role, are aware that every bit of that life is open to judgment. From people who we may often be tempted to think should mind their own business. But it doesn't work like that. Just as some members of One Direction have discovered this week, people do have expectations of you and me. And we are accountable for our actions. Yes, to others, but primarily to God. This expert in the law couldn't face the reality. These commandments may be easy to recite, but they're impossible to live totally. But instead of admitting that he couldn't do what he asked, do that, he asks Jesus a question. Well, okay then, who is my neighbour? In other words, where do I draw the line? The intellectual question is posed to cover a moral weakness. He's edging off. It doesn't quite fit in with what he wanted to hear. And so the big question leads to this familiar story. A man was on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was mugged, beaten, stripped, robbed and left for dead. A priest was passing that way, as was a Levite. Of course, they would see the victim lying in the side of the road, but he decided not to get involved. After all, it was a bit risky. This was bandit country. It may also be a trap. If the man was dead, then they didn't want to defile themselves. If they touched him, they would be ceremonially unclean. Furthermore, these two pillars of Jewish religion may not have been sure that the beaten heap in front of them was actually a Jew anyway. And so they passed by on the other side. But then, but then a Samaritan came along. He saw the man 
and took pity on him, regardless of whether he was a Jew or whatever. He cared for him, he took him to an inn, where he was cared for until he was well again. And as a result, the good Samaritan was delayed in his journey. This act of kindness was costly to him, both in his time, but it was also costly financially. But also, stopping to care could have cost him his own life. Going beyond what we might call the call of duty. Now, when Jesus had told the story, he asked another question of the expert in the law. Which of these three do you think was the neighbour to the man who fell at the hand of robbers? Well, the lawyer was now on a sticky wicket. You see, for most Jews, keeping the requirements of the law had become a means of justifying themselves before God. The law was, in fact, intended to remind them of their dependence on God's mercy because they in themselves could never satisfy God's demands. No one ever could fulfill God's requirements except Jesus himself. And here, the religious expert in the law was seeking to test him. However, Jesus reveals the futility of self-righteousness. You know, two of the main characters in the story were upright, but they lacked mercy. But then comes the bitter pill. Someone who did the right thing, which was okay, except he was a Samaritan. And there was deep-rooted enmity between Jews and Samaritans. Yet here was a Samaritan who put himself out for the sake of someone who he knew actually hated him. Now that's a harder thing to do, isn't it? To actually put ourselves at the disposal with those with whom either we dislike or who have hurted us, or who have wronged us in any kind of way. Yet that's what the Samaritan was prepared to do. And so the lawyer said, lamely and reluctantly, who had mercy? The one who had mercy on him. He did the right thing. You know, if you read that passage, which is in our order of service, he couldn't even bring himself to say the hated word Samaritan. Instead, he said, the one who had mercy on him. Yes, this Samaritan who was despised and rejected showed mercy on his natural enemy. And that's the twist in this familiar story. And is this not a picture of Jesus himself? You see, he was despised and rejected, yet through his costly death on the cross, we, when we were God's enemies, were saved from sin and death. Yes, it is Jesus who is the good Samaritan. Yes, he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. As we sang in that first hymn, through him we are ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven. 
Friends, getting to heaven is not measured by what we do, but rather by what Christ has done, which I find enormously liberating. Such understanding protects us from the pitfalls of self-promotion and provides us with the peace of God and the assurance both now and for eternity. We'll never be left thinking, have I done enough? Because he has already done enough in order for you and me to be right with God's. A few months ago, I had the privilege of being at the Love Barrow Awards. And I felt both humbled to be among the company of the folk who were there, and it was a great honour to be within that gathering. I was struck by the unsung heroes that exist within our communities, those who show great fortitude and courage, those who give themselves selflessly behind the scenes in order to help others and to make a a real difference. And that is important for all of us to demonstrate such care and compassion. But you know, sometimes there are situations where we find ourselves in which it's actually hard to fulfill what we know to be right. Whether it's in the sense of here, helping somebody who we wouldn't normally have anything to do with, or whether it's a personal challenge, be it an illness or a struggle or whatever it is. And it's at times like that when we realise that we haven't got all that we have within ourselves. But in God, we can find in one who is a refuge and strength, whose grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And I'm mindful that as Marie goes about her duties this year, which I know she will do diligently, that she'll face different challenges as well as different joys. But our prayer for Marie and for those serving alongside her will that she would know God's strength and God's joy as she serves this borough of Barrow. Following the great example, I would say, uh, of Colin and Brenda. It is Colin's birthday today, if I remember correctly. And uh, he's already got his bus pass, haven't you, Colin? (laughs) But nevertheless, again, within the company who gather here, let us encourage one another. And also know this, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. And so we demonstrate that in how we treat one another.